Too many days in the darkness. Welcome to Prevention is Cure, brought to you by Precure.com, the podcast which brings you the latest in science and practice and challenging mainstream medicine and finding new and exciting ways of having a happier and healthy life. This series is looking specifically at mental health. We've become really concerned about the lack of translation of what science knows into what medicine does. In most societies, including the one I live in, one in five of us will have a serious mental health problem at some stage. The infrastructure, the practice, the gap between treatment and best practice is massive. This podcast series aims to do something about it. Prevention is cure. I'm your host, Professor Grant Schofield. Sophia Dawson is a clinical psychologist on our faculty here at Precure. And I sat down and talked to her about something that I've become very, very interested in, which is ACT or acceptance commitment therapy. And I think once you talk to a practicing psychologist who's sitting down there day in, day out, using these tools with uh, particularly young people, but all sorts, thanks to the power of these tools and how interesting and easily applicable they are to learning them yourself, both for your own benefit, but for helping others. Without further ado, let's get into this excellent interview with Sophia Dawson. Too many days in the darkness Without a glimpse of the light Running tired and broken and scared But I swear I'll never give up the fight Hi there, Grant Schofield here and I'm with Sophia Dawson, a psychologist and the psychologist on the Pre-Cure faculty. How are you? Hi Grant, I'm good, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So... What I'm looking forward to is talking about what psychologists actually do, what a session yes. looks like. Like, are we lying down on the couch with a pillow and talking about our childhood? What is it? What do you do? <laughs> yes. A- and I've been thinking about the different types of people that you would see and how that we describe some of those. Yes. And I'm most excited about talking about this uh, ACT, Acceptance Commitment Therapy, which yeah. you're, you're pretty fond of and that sort of thing, so we'll, we'll get into it. Absolutely, that sounds great. Okay, so psychologist, what is a psychologist and how do you fit into the mental health field? It's a great question. So what is a psychologist? So we see kind of a multitude of presentations. Um, I guess that we're here to kind of assess, um, diagnose and treat um, psychological disorders or mental health troubles. So someone will come into you and you will actually go, look, I I've had a look at you, I think you have anxiety or depression. Yes, yeah, so so we essentially, I mean at the moment I'm working in private practice, so we'll get referrals from say GPs or schools because I work with adolescents yep. or we get self-referrals as well. Um, and so this might be people that are sort of struggling with like stress, um, anxiety depression we see a lot of as well Um, and so I guess our job really is to just be able to really understand our client and kind of what's going on for them um, right now at this point in time um, and why this particular um, presentation is occurring right now in this point in time and then be able to support them to live the rich and meaningful life that they want to be able to live. So how how does it work out? Someone turns up, Mm -hmm. here I am, how long are you 
I've seen them for. What does what does your office even look like? Yeah. And and how do they feel? How do you feel? And how, just just give us a feel of what yeah, goes on. Are, sure. they, are they lying down on a couch? Are they sitting up in a <laughs> chair? Sure. Or what? Great question. <laughs> um, so essentially, I, at the moment, I'm I'm working with adolescents, and so we have a fantastic practice which is full of lots of toys. We have a lot of fidget toys which um, teenagers kind of dive to the second they come in the room with me. So if you've seen, there's lots of kind of TikTok sensations at the moment that are yeah. playing with these poppet things. They're meant to simulate bubble wrap. Um, lots of fidget cubes, oh, okay. slime. That's a, you've got those in your, you've got them there. <laughs> yes, yeah, I've got them in. Yep, slime, play-doh, kind of everything you can imagine that can be fun to fiddle with. Yep. Um, so I've got all of that in my room. Um, so you'd kind of walk in. The room's very playful. There's lots of colours in it. Um, there is a couch, and you can lie on it if you want to lie on it, but it's certainly not necessarily the must. Yeah. Um, so I guess the first time that we see a client, it would very much be um, really getting to learn about them, trying to understand kind of why they're here and, and what they're wanting to get out of um, being coming to see me. Are they nervous? Yes, a lot of the time they're nervous because I think they just don't know what to expect. It's yeah. kind of like, are you expecting me to lie down here? What are you going to ask me? Um, there's, all, I guess there's all sorts of thoughts that are kind of going through their mind. And so that, that sort of rapport building, is that part of what you're doing to start with? Absolutely. Just trying to sort of figure out where they're at and... and show that you're actually not that scary yeah, yeah exactly exactly very much just showing that we're not scary sometimes even start with guess who or Jenga just to uh, just to really kind of start to build that rapport oh Jenga like the thing where you take the blocks yeah. you know, you're having <laughs> yeah. a game of Jenga and you're absolutely yeah so sometimes if it feels the client's just kind of really unsure and not sure what to expect and feeling a bit um, maybe a bit anxious it's a really good way to start alright oh, okay so you just rip into a, straight into a game of Jenga yeah, yeah exactly and and then you're just asking a bunch of questions or what, what happens then? Yeah, absolutely. So that first kind of session that we meet a client will very much be um, an assessment. So I'd be asking kind of, you know, about what sort of brought them in. Yeah. Um, and particularly with adolescents, it's also um, asking parents, you know, what what is it that oh, you Oh, do you have feel? a parent there sometimes as well? Yeah, absolutely. We'd sort of start with the parent and then the rest of the assessment session would mainly be with the, the young person. Yeah. Um, and so it's very much just trying to understand them. Um, I'll ask a lot about, I guess, their family, school, um, friends, stresses in particular that they're experiencing and, and most importantly kind of about their goals and, and where they would like to be really. Okay and then do you, do you say oh look I think you've got a bit of depression or do you, do you actually give a diagnosis like that? Do you say those words or how does that work? Um, I, I guess it very much kind of depends on the practitioner to be completely honest so I think um, a lot of the time well sometimes uh, diagnoses and labels can feel quite stigmatising yep. for a person and um, I guess we'll talk a little bit later about kind of how we can get fused um, with these things. Yep. So kind of use these labels as defining um, for us. But for others, it's quite helpful. Yep. And so being able to, I mean, some people feel like, gosh, am I the only person experiencing this? Like, is there something wrong with me? Yep. I think sometimes having a diagnosis can can really support that. But um, it wouldn't necessarily be in that kind of first session where you'd put a name to it. Yep. Um, but it could be that we might kind of further explore what's being presented, whether yep it's anxiety or depression yep. um, and then sort of yeah go from there do a little bit more questioning and psychometrics uh, and, and you're not the only psychologists aren't the only people in the mental health workforce what else is there there's a psychiatrist how, yes. how are they different what do they yes. do how do you work with them so we um, work in our practice quite closely with psychiatrists um, so they are often well they have the role of being able to prescribe medication which yep. psychologists cannot do um, and so they might prescribe medication for for example anxiety 
anxiety, depression, um, ADHD is yep. is quite a big one as well that that we see, uh, and so that's sort of how they are differentiated. And from is that their main job doing that? Uh, I think for some psychologists, uh, sorry, some psychiatrists, that yep. that is sort of their main job is being able to assess uh, the client in front of them and and sort of determine whether they might require medication, but also we use them to support us in um, diagnostic clarity. Yep. So, for example, if I think um, possibly my client's starting to show some signs of bipolar, for example, or maybe autism spectrum disorder, then I might get that. Right. So it's moving. It's moving past something to do with just mild or moderate anxiety or depression or something and moving into something yes. more, more clinical then you've probably got some support with that yes yeah, oh, yeah. that's exactly and, right. and then what about at, at the other side you've got people who are doing counselling social working health coaching how, how would that all work yes um, I think so we all kind of I guess have our different scopes of practice so for psychologists we have a few kind of core documents that guide our practice like the core competencies um, the code of ethics and so this kind of tells us uh, what is in our scope and possibly what isn't yep. um, and so I guess that's how we kind of differentiate from for example um, counsellors or occupational therapists um, um, but for, say, counsellors, it may someone might see a counsellor maybe for more kind of stresses in their life. It yep. might be um, if, for example, for adults, maybe I'm going through like a marriage breakdown um, or I just want to talk about some really tough stuff that's going on um, with some of my friends. Yep. That That's sort of a talking therapy that, that isn't directly related to, say, anxiety or uh, having depression. Yep. Yeah. And, and what about psychologists with things like uh, diet, exercise, sleep, that sort of stuff. You you do that stuff? So I think, again, it very much depends on the practitioner. That's mm-hmm. certainly something that I, I like to integrate into my practice and, and something I'd like to integrate more into my practice yep. as well, personally, because I think it's exceptionally important with kind of all the research we see on nutrition, yep. in particular on, on mental health. Yep. Um, but it's certainly something that we are able to kind of look into um, in terms of someone's diet and how active they are. Um, yeah. would certainly kind of come into it. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, so then you're out and about doing stuff. What I want to f- figure out now, so someone's getting to the point where you're saying, yeah, they've got depression. Yes. Like, how's that, what does that even look like? What does that mean? And how's that different from me just feeling down tomorrow or yesterday yeah. or today? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I suppose someone with a diagnosis of depression, it, it would need to be sort of long, um, long term. So for example, with adolescence, um, if we're looking at uh, depression, it, it may we need to have seen the symptoms for around 12 months. Yep. And it needs to be having quite a significant impact on one's kind of day-to-day functioning. Yep. So in terms of what we might see um, in practice, it could be someone who is, is experiencing very low mood, yep. um, their sleep might be really poor um, in terms of they might not be having enough or they might be having kind of too much. Yeah. Uh, their their appetite might be decreased. They feel like, hey, all the things I used to do, I actually don't like them anymore yeah. and I have no interest in them anymore. Yeah. Uh, so that we also... Is there that, that idea of just not being able to feel pleasure and yeah absolutely that's what we'd call anhedonia so it's very much that kind of um, loss of excitement or interest and what one might usually have found that 
And when does it go from being mild or moderate to, I think they talk about major depressive disorder? What does that even mean? Yeah. So I suppose, again, that's kind of the, the time frame that we might see um, on these symptoms. Um, but also, again, kind of how much it is impacting your functioning. Um, because there's there's always going to be sort of stresses in our lives where, you know, maybe um, I fail a paper at university um, or I have str- struggles in certain friendships. You know, that's going to yeah, be Yeah, you're going to have low mood and feel Absolutely. crap for a while, but it's not going to hopefully you come back from it. Absolutely. And so it might just be that I start to feel a bit low. Um, But when we start to talk about that more kind of moderate to severe, we're also starting to think about kind of a higher level of risk. So that might include kind of um, thoughts of self-harm or or self-harming behaviours or or thoughts of suicide. Yeah. Um, and people will tell you about that. That's a thing. They'll they're quite yeah. happy to open up about that. And yes. I guess that's why they're there, right? Absolutely. I think I think for some, of course, for for all people, that's very tough to be able to open up and and talk about because yeah. it feels very personal and it, it may be something that nobody else kind of knows about in their lives. Yeah. Um, so uh, yes, for for most clients, we are able to sort of talk about that. But for others, they they feel worried, particularly with adolescents, that I'm going to tell mum and dad um, or tell kind of someone else important in their lives and and so they might kind of be a bit more um they might withdraw withhold that information a little bit and then if you've got anxiety what's that mean so anxiety um, is very much, I guess, a constellation of sort of cognitive, um, emotional and behavioural symptoms, which um, one might experience in terms of their thinking. They might kind of think the worst, catastrophize all the time, kind of think, oh my goodness, but if what if I leave the house today and I have this giant panic attack and then I just combust? And so panic attacks are a part of it? Uh, so so with anxiety, there, there absolutely can be panic attacks, but, but they don't, don't need, to, no, yeah. not, not for a diagnosis of anxiety. Yeah. Um, but one also might experience kind of avoidance. They might engage in behavioural, um, I guess, avoidance behaviours. Yeah, and we all do that from time to time, right? Absolutely. Like, yeah, you know, get worried about this, so maybe I just won't go. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So, and, and there's different types, right? You can have a generalised anxiety but through something like um, OCD, uh, all example, but there's different ways of... <laughs> anxiety coming out? Is that yeah, there, there absolutely is. So as you say, there's generalised anxiety disorder, um, social anxiety disorder, um, but they all sort of, they they have sort of similar symptoms in the way that one's body kind of might experience that sort of heart racing, sweating, muscle tension. Oh yeah, so there's physical symptoms as well, right? Absolutely. Your, your nervous system's just ramping right up. Yes, oh, that's yeah. the one. And, and can you be depressed and anxious at the same time? Yes, absolutely. Oh, that's, that's pretty common, is it? That's something that we would see quite commonly together, yes. Yeah, okay. And then so there's that sort of group of things mm. and would that make up the bulk of what you see? Yes, it would. I think um, most commonly I would see sort of anxiety, uh, depression or features of either anxiety or depression, yeah. um, OCD. Um, we see a, a bit of sort of ADHD and autism spectrum disorder, but I would say um, anxiety and depression. Oh, yeah. So let's get on to the ADHD and autis- autistic type stuff. What's going mm. on there? So um, I think, I guess it very much depends on the client and kind of why they've come to, to treatment, but sometimes it may present um, that a client is feeling very anxious and, and having a lot of trouble in terms of managing those really big feelings of anxiety. Um, there might be, I suppose, in session, some features that I might sort of observe around um, kind of poor eye contact. Um, They're shifting their having, attention all the time and not really engaging. Is that part of it? Um, so with, with autism, it's kind of 
of the uh, poor eye contact, for example, the poor social interaction, having very restricted kind of interests. Not not taking notice of cues and stuff. That yeah, like that so having having difficulty with social cues is yeah. certainly kind of something. And that affects their life quite badly because they can't interact with their peers. It definitely makes it can make interacting with peers quite tricky. Absolutely, but um, there are. I suppose we can learn some of these strategies to be able to interact with our peers a bit easier. Um, So it may not be that they've kind of come to session sort of wanting a diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder, but it may be that there are sort of these um, features that I might observe and then that can be sort of the the basis for initiating more of an assessment around autism. Oh yeah, and what about ADHD? What's going on there? Uh, So with ADHD, it it may be that they um, are seeing a psychiatrist, for example, at our um, practice and so are receiving medication, but they're also experiencing, say, anxiety or depression. So I would sort of work with the anxiety or depression. But is the ADHD like what's happening for them? them? Are they just having trouble concentrating or they they can't, they can't, stay on task yes. how, how does it how does it affect their life yeah absolutely so it is very much that kind of poor concentration um, they might actually notice though that their concentration can be sustained on things that they're quite interested in yep. um, certainly losing focus there yep. might be some kind of behavioral difficulties that could be being picked up at school yep. um, another really big sign is that emotion dysregulation so feeling like you're on a bit of an emotional roller coaster yep. quite a lot of the time and those emotions are playing out in in public sometimes and that's a problem yeah absolutely and, yeah. and so it can be that they're feeling these really big emotions and there might be a big um, I suppose behaviour yeah. that's suggestive of these really big emotions and then they kind of feel fine oh, yeah. for example okay now what about some more serious stuff um, that you might see from time to time so if someone has what we call psychosis or schizophrenia are those the same things what does that even mean What, what if you've got that what does that mean so uh, it's not something that in private practice we would see very often that might kind of be more um, I suppose it might come out more sort of in the DHB Um, and maybe it may lead to sort of an inpatient admission. But in terms of kind of what we might see, for example, um, in schizophrenia would be um, hallucinations. So that's kind of when your sensory world, so what I can see, hear, taste, touch and smell, might be actually quite different to what is really kind of going on in my reality. So that's the whole hearing voices thing, is it? Yeah, that that can certainly be part of it. I can be seeing things that other people can't see. Um, And also in terms of delusions, I've kind of got these really rigid, firmly held beliefs that are just absolutely not true. Like the government's coming to get me or something? Totally. So yeah, yeah. that kind of persecutory um, delusions, absolutely it can be. The government's out to get me, maybe I'm um, God, Yeah. for example. It can be those delusions of grandeur. And this yeah. is pretty um, destructive, right, for especially a teenager? Oh, it's very, very tough, yeah. And, <laughs> and I think it's not something that we would kind of commonly see yeah. and these sort of things might be starting to and may start to emerge. Yeah. Yeah. Bipolar, what's that? Bipolar, so um, that is when we might observe uh, kind of these manic kind of symptoms and these depressive sort of symptoms. So in terms of mania, we might see someone who's kind of talking really fast. Um, They might not need very much sleep. They're being very productive. They feel like I am absolutely invincible. Um, And then they might have other periods where maybe they wake up the next day and actually they feel like um, I just feel like rubbish. I have no energy. Yeah. 
um, I feel very low, think having thoughts of suicide or self-harm. Yeah. And I suppose kind of going between the two um, is, is what one might see in bipolar. So what do you reckon about the pathology? Because some people that claim that some of the greatest inventions and minds in human history have been bipolar and that's yeah. been one of the reasons they've been able to be you know, massively productive and absolutely on fire yeah. and then they've crashed and burned and felt terrible and suicidal and all that and then they've come back again and yeah. again and, and uh, you know, that was actually not a bad thing. Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't see why that couldn't be the case, absolutely. I think there can be some incredible creative stuff that goes on when one is feeling either really manic or really low. Yeah, and yeah. then the dark side of that is that you could actually harm yourself or do pretty poorly in those downsides, right? Well, absolutely, and, and there's definitely kind of a difficulty when one feels sort of indestructible and invincible, yeah. and then kind of on the flip side, when you're back in that kind of low again, again feeling pretty hopeless and, yeah, yeah. and like nothing's kind of worth living for. Okay, there's a whole um, class of things that I don't really understand, but you hear about these personality disorders. Yes. And I guess you don't see those so much with teenagers, but you, I know you've worked in prisons, and that was definitely something you saw there. So what what, what even is a personality disorder? What's going on? What and there's different types, right? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think in in terms of working with the current kind of cohort that I am in teenagers, we can see some sort of emerging um, personality disorder kind of features, but one can't kind of gain a diagnosis of that until um, they're, they're aged 18. Yep. So even if we are seeing these features a bit younger, it's certainly that we can work with them and kind of work to prevent it from coming becoming a, a personality disorder. Um, in terms of, I suppose, as you say, I, I worked in the forensic system um, for a couple of years and, and it's certainly something that, that one would see more there um, so personality disorders are um, persistent problematic and um, pervasive patterns of behaviour so it's very much that um, it I suppose bad. <laughs> well, I suppose their way of relating to um, themselves, other people in the world, um, is actually just quite tricky and quite problematic. Um, and so if someone says, like, Sophie, you've got borderline personality disorder. Yes. What do they mean? So um, I suppose they'd be referring to kind of a feature, um, sorry, a few features of, of my maybe behaviours and way that I see the world around um, possibly I might fear abandonment from other people. Yep. And so I want to keep people close to me and, and in trying to keep people close to me I actually kind of push them away right. um, it can also be um, having trouble kind of keeping my relationships with people um, because I suppose they're, they're kind of described as being quite turbulent yep. so um, people with borderline personality disorder kind of describe feeling this kind of either love or hate and everything is kind of either black or white yeah, or, right. or very rigid and so it may be that in myself one day I feel oh my goodness this person is amazing and I might kind of idealise them as this amazing person and then they do something and I'm just I hate them you flip completely and absolutely that's and that's obviously not going to work well in life no absolutely not and so it's very much um, also difficulty regulating one's emotions because you can imagine how tough that would be kind of constantly feeling that kind of love hate yeah. black white um, kind of frame of mind yeah. and so it's very much um, feeling like I go from zero to a very quickly and it's a very slow return to baseline 
in terms of those emotions that I okay, feel. Okay, and what else do we have in this? Though? There's a narcissistic personality disorder. What else have we got? Yes, so there's um, three clusters of personality disorder. Um, and so in terms of what I guess we're talking about, cluster B here, which yeah. is um, borderline personality disorder, yeah. narcissistic personality disorder, histrionic personality disorder, and another one that I or antisocial personality disorder yeah. as well um, and so I, I again I guess what they're all kind of have in common is that they are um, across context in one's life we see them kind of over you know a couple of years these sort of patterns of certain behavior and they're problematic in terms of at my work with my relationships with people and how I see myself right so you're not necessarily seeing yourself accurately or your interactions with other people yeah. are, are, aren't what other people would regard as normal and you hit you look to your lack of insight? I think a lot of the time we do sort of observe that lacking of insight. Yep. Um, and I guess I've worked sort of more in terms of with that borderline personality um, sort of features of personality. And so it's it can certainly be that I, I don't have much insight into that. Yep. Um, but we can sort of work on building that insight. Yeah. Yeah. I guess there's other things... That yeah. can go wrong with the brain, but we'll explore those elsewhere. I think um, OCD is a, a very common one that, that I would work with as is well. That, is that anxiety or is that its own separate thing? So I believe actually it did used to be an anxiety disorder, yep. and now it's actually its own thing in terms of the DSM, yep. um, the diagnostic yep. manual that we use as psychologists in New Zealand. And how does that, how's that commonly coming out? Is this like when people think of it, it's like excessive hand washing or something, but absolutely. It, could be, it could be a whole lot of other things, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so um, the idea, I guess, of OCD is that I'm having these kind of intrusive of thoughts, images, memories or urges yep. that create this kind of sense of discomfort inside me or um, anxiety and then I do these behaviours like compulsions mm -hmm. to try and kind of reduce those feelings of anxiety or discomfort and so um, that, that can absolutely manifest in kind of a number of different ways so um, for example I might have an intrusive thought that I'm a murderer and so a compulsion that I might have is kind of keeping myself away from the outside world and, and making sure I don't leave my bedroom because I'm a dangerous person. Oh, really? You know, yeah, yeah. So that's how OCD can manifest. Yeah. Right. You're not having those thoughts. I promise, I'm not having okay, those thoughts. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> I guess psychologists talk about talking therapy. Yes. And like, that's just not sitting down and asking questions and hoping people talk. Right? There's probably a little bit more to it than that. Yes. Yeah. That is. That's right. <laughs> so um, psychologists use evidence-based therapies um, with their clients to be able, I suppose, ultimately kind of facilitate change. Yeah. Um, so there, in terms of our work with clients, it's very much being able to be quite goal-directed yeah. um, and having clients set goals for how they would like their life to be quite different, and us sort of working towards those goals together. So let's have a look at a few of the different schools of thought here. So one's yeah. called CBT. What's that about? Yeah. So that's cognitive behaviour therapy um, and so I suppose a, a key feature of CBT as it's called um, is kind of identifying some really problematic uh, thoughts that I might have and maybe being able to rationalise them um, being or, or able mitigate them as well? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So kind of understanding the triggers that, that might um, facilitate some of those thoughts coming up. Um, also being able to manage, say, for example, feelings of anxiety. So um, I guess that the intention would be to sort of uh, lessen that over time if, if we're working with anxiety. Okay, so, I don't know, let's just think of something random. Um, I drive home and the route I take home takes me to the KFC. Yes. And that <laughs> invokes 
thoughts about eating junk food and often I act out on that and just binge. Yes, yes. And so it would be a CBT solution to that to take an alternative route home or something. Yeah, absolutely. It would, that, that would be part of a CBT. Yeah. Um, and so that's sort of classical psychology training is CBT, right? Absolutely. And that's what I you're think, trained in? Uh, yeah, so in New Zealand, CBT is it's, it's certainly a fantastic evidence-based uh, therapy yep. for, for treating certain um, clinical presentations. Yep. So yet, in, yet you've gone away from that. Side, I right? have, yes, yeah. I have. Yeah. So... Yeah. So, I, so tell me what's happened there and what you've gone to. I, I think this is really interesting, folks, so just stand by here. <laughs> yeah. So um, I am very passionate about acceptance and commitment therapy. Also um, called... Act. act, so yeah. it is called ACT for yeah. short. Um, and so this this has kind of come from CBT, essentially. Yeah. So it's kind of a mindfulness-based behaviour therapy. But, um, but also, like, you hear this, right? You, see, you hear ACT, and that sounds pretty benign, but you hear yeah. acceptance, commitment. Yes. It's starting to sound quite psychotherapy, Freudian. Yeah. Um, like, but actually it's not that really, is it? So it's very much, I suppose, what it is, is being able to um, assist clients and being able to kind of open up and make room for really difficult thoughts and feelings and experiences um, and being able to support them in, in making kind of committed, values-guided um, actions. So in plain language, I yes. think the way you explained it to me, which I liked, yeah. and I'll see if I'm getting this right, Yeah. is... All of us think all sorts of things and we have positive and negative emotions and um, thoughts about actions that we do or don't do. Yes. And sometimes, and that's normal, right? Yeah. It's a normal, you could be thinking, who knows what you're thinking. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but some people get stuck on, especially the negative ones and quite fixated on those and can't move out and others in, of us accept that we're going to have a bunch of things and just choose to behave in a particular way. That's right, that's right. So I think ACT very much kind of normalises the psychological suffering kind of idea because yeah. the, I suppose the idea is that our minds have evolved in a way to kind of facilitate suffering. So if we think about the caveman mind, for example, yeah. so back when we were cavemen, it was really important that we were always on the lookout for threat. Yeah. So can you imagine if we weren't, we'd be eaten pretty quickly? Yeah, it's been selected for an evolutionary sense right absolutely yeah. and so it was also really important for us to well, fundamentally stay alive um, so that meant that you know for us to be able to ha be included in tribes for example so to have people around us yeah. um, that would mean that we were also more likely to stay alive so our, our minds have sort of evolved to problem solve very much yeah. um, and so that's why I constantly in practice always kind of talk about uh, the caveman mind right so to so summarise that we're talking about a brain that is I think they call it the negativity bias. So you're you're on the lookout for interpreting even benign things as being potentially dangerous. Yes, absolutely. So, so that's, you can see the use of that. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and um, there's a sort of wanting to belong to a group as well. Absolutely. Um, and to solve problems that come at us have all been things that the minds actively done and that's been that's what you call the caveman you should be calling it the cave person mind cave person yes sorry we should be inclusive yeah. you're right the cave person mind yeah, absolutely right. so, absolutely and it's, it's absolutely kind of evolved um, in a way to keep us safe and so really what it is doing is it's number one kind of goal is protection of us keeping yeah, us safe yeah. and so so we're gonna think negative things and um, and so you've I hear you you've talked to me about some of those exercises you will do with people to um, illustrate that mindset that these thoughts are normal and 
getting rid of them is not possible. Let's go through a few yeah. of those, the sort of deleting thoughts, the, Absolutely. the, the, the V-dub exercise, all that stuff. Okay, so so maybe if we can start with um, you thinking of the best day of your life. Yeah. So think of kind of the best memory you have right now. Okay, so everyone out there can do that. Everyone out there, yeah, everyone out there can do that. Yeah. So now I want you to delete it. Well, just not. delete it from your mind. No. <laughs> so don't think about it. Just to make sure it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, so that's not a thing. That's I not do, a I thing. can't do that. Can you do that? I certainly cannot do that. Absolutely yeah. not. And so there's this idea and act that trying to get rid of certain thoughts or any thoughts and feelings actually has a paradoxical effect, which means that they kind of show up more. Right, so you, the next step after the get rid of the best day of your life which is yes. an impossible thing is, yes. is the I was calling it the polar bear exercise but you're yes. calling it the, the so I, it, this takes many forms I yeah. think traditionally it might be known as the white bear exercise yeah. um, but another one that I've read about is okay imagine a Volkswagen um, Beetle yeah. so a yellow Volkswagen Beetle if you can imagine that yeah, I'm yeah? Imagining that, yeah. have you got like a very clear image in your mind of what that looks like yes. yeah so if we think about it just for a few seconds and kind of focus on all the details of that mm-hmm. and then I want you not to think about it yeah it's not, it's not a thing it's not a thing because it, your mind still, is trying to say don't think about the yellow Volkswagen don't think about it right so your interaction with a client then is to say hey um, to try not to think about negative thoughts or try to concentrate on the negative thoughts is only going to magnify them. Absolutely. Yep. That's right. And I think these are some very kind of simple experiential exercises where people kind of recognize, yeah, I can't do that. You know, yep. it's not possible. And if, in fact, engaging with them magnifies them. Yes, absolutely. that's absolutely what some evidence does show. And the, the next step then could be, okay, so let's try that with a feeling then. Yeah. So um, what I might say is, okay, do you think that you could fall in love with the next person that walks through the door? If I gave you a million dollars, could you do it? How much? <laughs> you could pretend, maybe. <laughs> yeah, right. A million dollars. Yeah, but for, for authenticity, probably no, right? And people Absolutely. Must have, no one said yes to that, have they? No one said yes to that. They've, they've said, I could pretend, yeah. or I could try. Yeah. And of course, it's a million dollars. I completely understand that. But yeah. the, the I guess the, the foundation, the, the idea is, I absolutely cannot do that. Right. Right. I could pretend, but I'm not going to feel those real kind of feelings of, yeah. of love. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then there's, a, there's another metaphor. I think Act's quite full of, Act metaphors, full of metaphors, which sort of follows on nicely for this is that uh, the, the drop the rope oh, exercise. Yes, How does yes. that sort of feel with that? Because you're into you, you're engaged. There's there's negative feelings and emotions, which are part of being a human. Absolutely, are in your head. Yes. So tell us about the drop the rope. So um, another idea is that we are kind of struggling with our thoughts and feelings. Yeah. So maybe a thought comes up of um, I always use this one because it was very true of me at school. You know, I'm really bad at maths. Yeah. Um, and so I might really kind of struggle with that and struggle with feelings of anxiety that might show up um, in response to to that thought. <laughs> and so maybe I'm kind of trying to get rid of it or I'm trying to not make it so loud. Um, And that certainly would, I would need to do that if I had a maths test today. You know, I'd want to be trying to get rid of that. But I'm really kind of struggling with these thoughts and feelings. And so there's a metaphor of sort of imagining that that maybe these thoughts and feelings or um, a monster is kind of on the other end of this rope and I'm on the other side. And maybe the monster is kind of these thoughts and feelings that I'm really struggling with. And so at the moment, it's like we're in one giant game of tug of war. And so maybe I yank them kind of one direction and then they pull me in the other direction. Um, but the idea is 
just being able to kind of drop the rope and so not kind of engaging in that struggle just dropping that struggle I've got this whole sort of vivid imagination of a sort of computer simulated monster with a yeah. rope and, and as I pull the rope it's essentially feeding them and they're growing absolutely and growing yeah. and growing and they're becoming this massive monster that's the only thing I can see that's right and if I just let go of the rope and go no nah, I'm not playing tug of war with you anymore yeah. it's still there but it, it, it bloop, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. shrinks down in size yes. it's no longer everything is that that's the drop the rope absolutely yes yeah, that's okay. it. so, so I, I really like this idea for the people that I've seen and had anything to do with through health coaching and um, especially with um, depression this sort of mm. focus so we t- you talk about um, understanding self self as context mm. what's that mean because that, that seems to be a thing there right understanding that these thoughts aren't everything that defines you yes absolutely what, what's and that about so this is the self as context um, part of ACT is, is a particularly complex one for a lot of people to try and understand but but a way that I kind of understand it and make sense of it um, is that you know I can have these stories about myself yep. um, and they can be quite complex webs of stories yep. you know they're kind of all tangled up in these thoughts and these feelings that I have um, about myself or about the world or about other people yeah. Um, and so I might kind of hold very tightly, for example, onto the story of, of maybe, for example, I'm anxious. Yeah. And so if I hold really tightly onto that story and I kind of let that define me, firstly, you know, I'm not actually making room for all the other things that kind of make up yeah. me. Yeah. Um, but it also means that I'm letting it kind of get in the way a lot of time as well. And so having these stories are not kind of inherently problematic, but yeah. when they become problematic, it's when they're starting to, to mean, for example, if if my mind told me, oh, I'm anxious, I can't possibly do this maths test today. Yeah. And so I just stay in bed all day and just avoid it. Yeah. You know, that's or, when or, or, or for, say for a teenager, they might not, they might just not go to school at all. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's when that kind of story of myself um, has really kind of gotten quite rigid and, and is getting in the way of me kind of living the life that I want to live. Okay. And you talk about this dots. What's dots yes. in that context? What does that mean? These are avoidance strategies? Yes. So dots are kind of ways that people might avoid um, things, I, I suppose, difficult kind of experiences inside. So D stands for distraction. Yep. So there's all sorts of ways that, that people distract you can possibly imagine a few other ways you might distract yourself um, I mean I for example might watch a Netflix show right Right. we might get kind of really caught up in, in watching Netflix and every time we're feeling maybe a bit sad or upset we oh might. okay so I can see and that's not necessarily a good thing to do because because I one thing especially during COVID because I didn't want to think about it and it was making me anxious as I ended up just started playing Yahtzee oh yeah on my iPad yeah um, and I don't think it's that good for me but now I've actually I think I'm using it quite negatively as a strategy, a distracting strategy. So you stop thinking about things. Right, so you're making a very good point because yeah. um, a lot of the time in the work psychologists do uh, for example when it's kind of crisis kind yeah. of work, distraction is actually very important. It yeah. gives us kind of some space to be able to choose yeah. how I'm going to act next. Yeah. Um, but but as your only strategy it's pretty hopeless. Absolutely if, if it's I'm kind of turning every time I have really difficult emotions or really difficult thoughts every time I have those I'm playing Yahtzee yeah. you know that that is kind of pushing away or pushing as we might talk about like passengers out of the bus we're yeah. kind of trying to get rid of um, these difficult thoughts and feelings and they're not going away they're there no absolutely and you and need it, to maybe face up to them yeah that's right and, and, 
Absolutely. It's just a part of a normal functioning brain. Okay, so that's D for distraction. What's O? Uh, O is opting out. Yeah. So uh, that could be, again, we use that kind of avoidance idea. I'm not going to school. I'm not going going to to work. I'm not doing the maths test. Absolutely. Um, Other examples? uh, Maybe social situations, you know, so noticing that, hey, when I'm hanging out with my friends or maybe when I'm hanging out with people I don't know, I know I'm going to feel the sense of anxiety. My mind is telling me I'm going to experience anxiety. Right, and, and, so, and part of that anxiety is you've got this, you're, you're, you're focusing on the thoughts. It's like, well, some of these people might not like me. Um, yes. I'm not dressed the same as them. Yes. Um, they've got this, they've got that, which, you know, naturally we all think some of these things. But yes. it's, it's acting on those and then opting out. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And if that's kind of what I'm always doing, yeah. you can imagine that, that if, you know, actually it's very important for me to, to be around friends and yeah. it's important for my job to be around friends, yeah. then actually like, I'm kind of taking myself away from, from the life that I want to have. Okay, T. Yeah, T. T is time travel. So that is kind of if I'm spending a lot of time kind of ruminating on the past, yep. kind of thinking, and, and again, this is adaptive. When yep. we fought tigers or lions, when we were cave people, yep. um, it was important for us to replay that over and over again. Just to so, figure out what happened, exactly. what went wrong, that they actually are quite dangerous. Yes, and yep. how to stay safe next time. So that this element of time travel and kind of ruminating on the past is adaptive. Yep. But of course, it's also kind of an, an avoidance strategy in the sense of I'm not kind of sitting with, with what's happening right. for me right now. But you could do anything all through, through I could be sitting at home playing Yahtzee, not going out and occasionally ruminating about last time I went out. Totally. So I could Absolutely. Be, uh, and there's, uh, there's an S here as well then, right? There is an S. Um, so S is substance use. Oh, okay. So, yeah. That's... <laughs> okay, so now I'm playing Yahtzee, um, <laughs> uh, staying at home, ruminating about last time I went out, how bad it was, um, and knocking back some... Um, gin. Some gin, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so that's a, a pretty common cluster of behaviours that you're trying to help people move past. Absolutely. And I I think, as I say, you know, there's nothing kind of inherently wrong with any of these things. And so, you know, playing Yahtzee, nothing wrong with it. Yeah, but it could become problematic. It could become problematic. I actually think it is, frankly. (laughs) Okay, if it is problematic and it is kind of getting in the way of the person you want to be or the life that you want to have, that's when that's something that we'd be kind of thinking about together and and working about, I guess, kind of. One thing that I think people might find interesting is that um, once we got talking about ACT, Mm. I was just reflecting on some coaching I was doing, not health coaching, but but sports coaching with, yes. with my youngest son's uh, soccer or football team. And one thing that we did on the day of a tournament is we, I sat down with all the boys before we even left school for the tournament. And I was like, oh, um, this is what we're doing today. Yeah, everyone excited about it. Yep, yep, yep. And I was like, oh, do you reckon, what do you reckon the chances of the referee in each game making a mistake that goes against us is? And they sort of thought about it for a while, and everyone's like, oh, it's 100%. Yeah. That's definitely going to happen. And I was like, oh, how are you going to feel? And they're all like, oh, we'll be angry, we'll be feeling um, upset, we'll be happy about it. It's like, yeah. And then we said, oh, well, what do you reckon we should do about it? How would that help or not help? And they were universally like, oh, well, it's not going to help. Um, and it really worked really well because, you know, you're an 11-year-old boy, uh, and, you know, a day's tournament, you want it to go well, and the you know there's bad calls and 
yeah. going and concentrating on it. And so they, it works really well as a technique. Is that act? That absolutely. I think that's a fantastic example of how act can kind of just naturally show up in our lives, right? Because yeah. I think, you know, maybe some 12-year-olds might have said, oh, no, that's not fair. Yeah. You know, like we need to tell the referee that they made a bad call and, and you know, we need to do something about this. Yeah. But I guess there's this idea of um, internal and external locus of yeah. control, right? So yeah. what's in my kind of internal locus are the things that I can control, yeah. which essentially kind of comes down to like what I do, yeah. really, my behavior. Yeah. And then what's in the external locus of control is sort of everything else. So yeah. it's kind of recognizing, you know, hey, there's actually nothing we can do here about yeah. about these calls and we're just going to make room for it and continue working towards that goal of what's the, important to well, us. The, but the interesting thing there, that what we were doing there is actually, I guess you call it negative visualization, which sort of runs counter to everything in society. It's like, let's just imagine when things go wrong which yeah. is a weird thing, right? Yeah, it, it and, is. Yeah. It, but it's normalizing things go wrong. Absolutely. And understanding how how you would respond. Absolutely. And and being able to just kind of accept yeah. that, hey, this is going to happen, but but I can choose to kind of keep playing soccer and keep playing my best game of soccer and yeah. continue to work towards that goal of winning together. Yeah. So just to continue with the soccer theme, like mm. in different positions, I think it becomes even more important. For example, if you're the goalkeeper, mm. um, Okay, you can do some brilliant saves from time to time, and that's great. But quite often, you a goal will go in, and that's a normal thing. There's going to be goals scored in a game, and often because you're the goalkeeper, one will go past you. And so then, you know, working with that kid with an act type thing is like an important thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Kind of recognising, hey, even the best soccer player in the world, kind of all of these um, soccer players, if they're in the Olympics at the moment, you know, even they let goals get past them it's, it's impossible to be like kind of a superhuman goalkeeper right yeah which gets us onto this idea and humanity of perfection mm. and the futility of that and how does that fit into act oh absolutely um so it's i guess it's very much a lot of the time we can kind of hold on to this idea of um being perfect and and we can get kind of what's called fused yeah. in in act yeah. um so getting kind of hooked on this idea you know i have to be perfect i must do my best and yeah. and um this can kind of lead to all sorts of what we would call unworkable actions yeah. so those are sort of actions that are taking us away from that rich and meaningful life yeah. um, away from the person that we want to be because I have to be perfect so and if you can't be you might go back to the dots you might um, distract yeah. you might opt out you might worry about it you might substance yes absolutely yes, right. so those are common strategies to when there's fusion you can't be perfect yes. you can't make it and, and even so is, is it like in a with a, let's take a teenager um, in a social situation, yeah. someone might say something negative about you or someone mm. might not like you. Mm. Like, that's normal, right? Absolutely. Because uh, we can't control kind of what other people say or what other people think about us. Right. It doesn't make it kind of any less difficult, but right? It, but it's, but it's going to happen, right? You know, you take, you're out with 10 other people your age. Chances are one of them's a bit of a knob and's going to say something yeah. stupid and say, or, or take a dislike to you or something's going to happen that's slightly negative, right? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Even if it's a throwaway. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, they, those happen all the time, right? Where people just kind of say a kind of throwaway comment, but but we can kind of, I guess, fuse with this and yeah. think, you know, I'm unlikable. Yeah. People don't like me. Yeah. Um, and we really kind of want to be able to help our client kind of think, well, you know, is this way of thinking, is that taking you towards that life that you want to have or is it taking you away? 
Okay, so we'll explore that. So the, the, let's get go from fusion to diffusion, then we'll get into this choice points and towards moves yes. and away moves. But so yes. you talked about fusion, which yes. is being sort of welded to that. What's diffusion? Yeah, so diffusion um, is, I suppose, the process of being able to see thoughts as thoughts, right? And yep. so the idea is that then our, our minds 24-7 are kind yep. of throwing us thoughts. And we as humans, um, understandably, can sometimes get into the trap of, of seeing our thoughts as either true or false right or wrong and we can get very kind of hooked by them yeah and very fused by them so the idea of diffusion is that we want to be able to see these thoughts as being thoughts and kind of be able to what's called unhook from them and then kind of continue to choose to make uh, towards moves which we can talk about yeah so when you talk about this clouds in the sky type analogy what was that about yes so um, I guess that that's very much kind of that can be related to, to fusion it can also be related to the self as context what we mentioned before is that you know we can imagine ourselves as the sky for example we are kind of always there and then we can imagine these really difficult thoughts and feelings as being like the weather so there might be kind of storm clouds that come along every now and again and and they might be particularly problematic Um, but we know that sort of eventually they will kind of float away and then the sun will come again yeah or there might be just a little clouds floating around absolutely um, and you can choose to say it's um Partly cloudy or mostly sunny. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. This gets to this choice point thing about yes. about because we're sort of keep touching on that we need to get into this yes oh, this is a major technique you're using right so yes. tell me about that yeah so the choice point is a really kind of amazing concept and, and I constantly refer to this with my clients so yep. there's this idea that kind of as humans of course we're making decisions making choices kind of all day every day yep. right you know we're choosing to come to work or choosing not to come to work yep. depending on who you are um, you know we're making choices that are, that are fundamentally they're kind of taking us towards the person and the life that we want for ourselves yep. towards the person that we want to be or they're taking us away from that rich and meaningful life and away from the person that we really want to be. And so what what I I guess ask my clients to think about with me is maybe a particular situation. Um, And again, I'm going to use this maths example of, you know, say I have a maths test today. You really don't like your maths. I really don't. (laughs) I really don't like maths. But you did a couple of psychology degrees, but you have to do maths, don't you? You do. You have to do statistics. Oh, my God. And so I can can use this as my exact example is, you know, let's say my, the situation is I have to do statistics papers at university. Yeah. And my thoughts are, I am so bad at maths. And that I don't want to do maths. I don't want to do it. How do it. I get out I of doing suck. maths? Yeah, maybe I just shouldn't do psychology because I'm so bad at maths. Yeah. And then I might have feelings of kind of anxiety or sadness around it, um, dread, you yeah. know, all sorts of feelings. Yeah. So there's this idea that um, we can either make a move that is, again, towards or away. So an away move in this situation, something that has taken me away from the life I want to have, the person I want to be, um, might be me kind of getting hooked on that idea of, I suck at maths, I'm going to fail this test. So you fused, to, fa- fused to that idea. I've fused to that idea. I've been hooked by it. And I'm thinking, oh, gosh, I'm going to fail those statistics papers. Yep. So maybe an away move, keeping in mind that what's important to me is being a psychologist. 
psychologist yeah. and is passing my psychology degree. Yeah. And a way move might be, you know, just completely avoiding the, the exam altogether. So yeah. maybe or, or just, I just... Or even if you don't do that, just not studying? Not studying, not asking for help. Yeah. You know, not, not... There might be a friend that I have that's particularly yeah. good at maths, which I certainly do have, that, that maybe I just kind of avoid and yeah. I just... I don't make any kind of effort yeah. to help myself. Yeah. yeah. And what's a towards move then? So towards move would be being able to kind of unhook from those thoughts and being able to see my, I guess, see the fact that, you know, actually being a psychologist is very important to me. Yeah. And and to be a psychologist, I need to do these statistics papers. Yeah. And, and, so, and you can be doing a towards move going, I actually do suck a bit at maths. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's, and it's still the idea that I'm having these thoughts. I'm still having these thoughts that yeah. I suck at maths and maybe I'll fail. Yeah. But, but a towards move might be asking for help, getting yeah. myself a tutor, um, yeah. asking my friends and or, or showing up. Or just even up. set up a st- study plan to start with. Absolutely. Or, yeah. Absolutely. So c- can you give me some sort of example from, I don't know, just in practice recently with towards moves and away moves that were real mm. that someone was doing? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's quite a few examples um, and I think a lot of psychologists that work with children or teenagers at the moment can probably identify with um, people just not wanting to go to school yep. and there might be kind of a number of reasons for that. Um, yep. It could be, let, let's for example say it's a result of feeling a really big sense of anxiety yep. um, and so it could be maybe um, the social side of school for example yep. is just you know people don't like me, teachers don't like yep. me, um, yep. Yep. I just I'm going to feel anxious. I'm going to have a panic attack, yeah. right? And so, in a way, move assuming that these these clients want to kind of pass school yeah. and head on to maybe university or doing yeah. something else afterwards. And a way move is just staying in bed, yeah. right? Like even even with help provided by certain services to to support them in doing their schoolwork, maybe they're not doing that. Yeah, um, they're just kind of avoiding the whole idea of school altogether. Yeah, and the towards move. A towards move might be um, gradually kind of. Uh, I suppose engaging with someone like me to support them in getting back to school it's not necessarily kind of jumping right back into school but yep. it, it can even be hey today I'm going to spend 30 minutes on English yeah you know and that's that is a towards move yeah so the, the one thing I like about this well, there's two there's a couple things I want to explore here first of all what you said there was that assuming people want to have a good life yes like you actually do exercises on that right what these values exercises and that what is that because actually it's you don't have to assume it you can actually find out what they want yeah that's exactly right and how do you do that so um, values is a very big part of act yeah. um, and so sometimes I mean I think in a lot of the work that I do I like to make values quite explicit yeah. um, and so I'll kind of start with a values exercise of, of supporting the client to identify what is important to them so um, that can either be through we have what's called values cards yeah. where there's just these little cards with um, values like say communication honesty um, inner strength on yep. them yep. and getting the client to kind of choose uh, three of these cards for each different area of their life yep. in terms of what's important. Uh, so so how, would, how does that work when you talk about area of their life? What do you mean by that? So that could be the, the four different areas that, that I might think about is relationships, yep. uh, work and school, yep. leisure, yep. Uh, and then health. So yep. that can be kind of physical and mental health. Yep. So actually kind of doing an explicit exercise like that. It even can come down to like, hey, you're, you're about to have a 21st birthday party for example yep. you know what do you hope your friends what do you hope your mates your family say about you yeah right so so maybe it's oh you know gosh they're just such a kind caring compassionate person yeah right and then you've kind of you've got what's important to your client that you've got kind of a foot in the door there of understanding yep. what's important to them and does everyone engages isn't it they do they yeah, actually, and they, they and, they, and no one's coming up even when they're pretty depressed and just going oh, i don't care and 
I don't even have anything on this. Everyone says something? Everyone does say something. I think um, Axe kind of perspective on depression, one part of that is is that um, this idea that people with depression are kind of disconnected from their values, disconnected from what's important to them. So I always encourage my clients to think about, hey, it doesn't need to be what you have right now. It can be what you would love to have, what you would like to have. In an ideal world, if we could wave a magic wand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's quite a common thing for people to engage in these tasks, even outside of ACT, isn't it? You know, you're talking to your child or you're talking to your partner or you're just thinking about yourself. Absolutely. It's often a task that people like to do. Absolutely, yeah. thinking about what's important. And I yeah. think this is, I guess, ACT has more kind of structural ways of being able to sit down and think, okay, what is actually important to me? Yeah. So, Sophia, another thing which I'm having trouble, you read about ACT, and there's, we've done all these towards where's away moves, the thoughts and feelings and the, the caveman mind, the fix-it mindset, all that sort of stuff. But then there's another whole section on mindfulness. It doesn't seem to quite to gel with the whole thing. What's mindfulness about there? Yeah, so I suppose mindfulness is kind of kind of pops up in all aspects of ACT, really. Um, it's something that we're kind of constantly kind of referring back to. And, and I don't think it's kind of that typical mindfulness that people might sort of be thinking about. I mean, I don't know what um, the people listening here might be kind of thinking, but maybe they think of kind of sitting with your eyes closed and, and just trying not to think of anything. Yeah. Yeah, right. Um, But mindfulness is very much, I suppose, being kind of in in terms of act is kind of being in the present moment and kind of being able to observe, notice, describe non-judgmentally kind of what's going on for me. Oh, okay. So now I'm getting it because I was definitely thinking the other way around. So so, so you're just going, okay, uh, so I'll give an example. I've come home from work. Yes. And... You know, the two teenagers, one almost teenager and the dog and Louise have been home Yeah. and because they've been living there just doing stuff and they're not particularly tired, yeah. you know, it's a bomb site <laughs> and then by being mindful I might observe the different thoughts coming into my mind at that point. Absolutely. And some of them might be like why the hell didn't these people clean up, what the hell is wrong with them? <laughs> yeah. um, and also then I'm home and yes. now that's good and everyone that I love is there. Yes. Yeah. So is that what, we, what we're talking about? That's absolutely right. So I think kind of, I suppose before kind of yelling at, at everybody in the house for not tidying up for example maybe being mindful would be... You're suggesting that I would have done that. <laughs> maybe. No, you definitely don't. No, that's absolutely what happened. That's had been an issue, right? Because yeah. I come home and completely lose it. It's like what the yeah. hell is wrong with you people? But gosh, you're not alone there because I think a lot of people can relate to that example, right? But I think the idea of mindfulness is being able to kind of observe, noticing, like it's like kind of as as if I'm an alien, right? And I've never felt these feelings before. I've never had these thoughts before. Kind of being curious about my own experience of, gosh, you know, what thoughts am I having right now? What are the feelings that I'm feeling in my body? And kind of where am I feeling that? If it's that anger of, you know, why didn't you clean up today? Emma, is that kind of in my chest? Am I noticing this kind of hot sort of burning sensation going on in my chest? Is it kind of creepy? Creeping up my my throat and into my jaw, you know, where am I noticing that for myself? Yeah. And so then it's acknowledging that it's it's okay to feel that. Yeah. But then absolutely. my away moves to completely lose the plot, <laughs> which has happened. Well, exactly. And I mean, I suppose if your kind of um, ideal kind of goal is, you know, to have this um, relationship and household that you know maybe talks about emotions and and is really supportive of each other, maybe that would be an away move to kind of yell. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah no, it definitely and, is an away move, yeah. but a towards move might not be not doing anything but I might just gently help in the 
getting the place sorted out because totally. I do I do you know it has to be sorted out eventually absolutely and so that could be kind of a committed action kind of idea it would be you know it's important for me and it's important um, if it is important to the family as well to have a tidy house you know how can we just do kind of small little things that, that yeah. might contribute okay it's just to, to continue this little exploration into the into the mess. So here's another example for me. You're going to, don't judge me on this. You're <laughs> no a psychologist, judgment. you're not going to judge me, right? No, no I'm judgment. not allowed to judge. Yeah, okay, right, yeah. good. So <laughs> so like I'm, I'm doing the dishes, I've got this whole two sink system worked out, right? So I've got the dishwasher, dishwater in one that's nice and you know, clean stuff and I've got another sink I've rinsed stuff out. Yeah. And then someone's made us a, a berry smoothie in the Nutribullet and they make the smoothie and I'm yeah. just cleaning up around the sink area at that moment mm-hmm. and then they get this you know, um, mostly empty, but still covered in red smoothie stuff, and they just chuck it in my sink, <laughs> and now it's completely red, and my whole system's ruined. Um, right. Which sounds like a small thing, but no. I'm, I'm doing the dishes right, and I'm like, my I notice these thoughts of just going, "You losers! I've got a system <laughs> going here. Can you not put the bloody smoothie yeah. thing in the thing? I've got a system going, which is a bigger way move, right? Yeah, yeah. Certainly, if you're yelling about it, absolutely. Yeah. But but I think what Act would say about that is, you know, it's it's absolutely kind of normal and understandable. You'd have those thoughts, right? Yeah. You, I imagine, kind of along with those thoughts, you're feeling pretty angry. Yeah. Like it feels pretty unfair. It's like, guys, come on, I have a system. Yeah, and what I'm, I'm the one here? actually doing the dishes here, so just put it over there, and I will do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so, what's a towards move? So, gosh, a towards move might be. Better being able to kind of say, hey guys, you know, it's really important to me that there is the system that is respected, right? Yeah. It's important to me. So so maybe, you, you know, keep, we can all work together yeah. to, to keep the berry smoothie out of my sink. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't actually tried that. That didn't work that well either. But I think the easiest thing is just to, um, you know, like it's not that hard to let the water out and put some more in. Totally. Or maybe, you know, it's for you being able to notice that, hey, maybe this isn't important to my family members. Yeah, and being and able she, to kind of... Yeah, really who cares about the red water in the sink? That's right, because ultimately my kids, my family are eating healthy, right? They're having these berry smoothies that are made in the Nutribullet. Yeah. So that's what's important to me. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, I guess it's kind of noticing that discomfort in yourself and, and, and recognising that yeah. actually I don't need to kind of yell and, and make my point known. I but, can But just, the important thing... Can, in this is this mindfulness is be able to notice these sorts of feelings before there's automatic action. That's right. Is that, is that what you mean by mindfulness? Right? That, that's right. Okay, and, and I think I'm that's very it. much what ACT refers to because yep. I think um, some other sort of treatment modalities might refer to mindfulness as a way to kind of relax yourself, right? Yep. And and that in ACT would actually be kind of experiential avoidance because it's trying to kind of get rid of certain feelings to feel calmer. Yeah, okay. So it's, right. uh, that's interesting because yeah, mindfulness mm. has all sorts of different other connotations. In that's right. Society. Whereas this is kind of being able, in terms of ACT, is being able to observe and describe non-judgmentally and just be that kind of observer of yourself, being curious. Right, rather than, than you being the spotlight, you you can just notice the thoughts. Yes, okay, absolutely. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's, let's just let's get out of a sort of purely... Th- uh, I guess we're sort of already out of a, out of a therapeutic context and just mm-hmm. into act in everyday life because I yep. think people can just learn this. It's a good tool for parenting. It's a good yes. tool if you're coaching sports teams like we've talked about with the soccer team. Yes. Uh, it's good for yourself and relationships. So just let's just think about a few different aspects where it might be interesting there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think possibly uh, one that we could think about would be, you know, you're a parent and you're about to take your toddler to the supermarket, yeah. for example, and, and you get to the supermarket, you're kind of going down different aisles and then your toddler absolutely loses, kind of the, plot. loses the plot yeah. and, and ends up kind of having a tantrum, yeah. right? And I think a lot of people as parents have, have been there yeah, or maybe absolutely. you've been the person that's kind of noticed the toddler 
having yeah. a tantrum in the middle of the supermarket. Yeah. Um, so I guess one way that kind of acting can come into this is sort of for the parent, right? Because as I think a lot of parents would think is, oh my goodness, this is so embarrassing. Everyone is looking at me. Yeah. You know, and so we can really get kind of fused on that that feeling yeah, of embarrassment. Yeah. Totally. Like that's not okay. That yeah. is wrong to be kind of having a tantrum in the middle of the supermarket. Yeah. And so if I start to get kind of fused on on those thoughts of um, or those feelings of embarrassment and those thoughts of, oh, this is not okay, this is not acceptable, yeah. I might then kind of, I guess, engage in an away move yeah. because it, it may be that, you know, of course, being a, um, a parent, it's very important for me to be able to kind of support my child and, and feeling their feelings right, and experiencing their emotions. Right, but you just completely losing the plot at your child and you in the goes, supermarket. Yeah. yeah. And, and people really are judging you at that point. <laughs> <laughs> Ironically. So you kind of end up just yelling at, at your child being like, no, this is not okay. What are you doing? Come on, be quiet, you yeah. know? And so we've really got fused with this thought of, oh my goodness, people are looking at me and people are judging me. Yeah. But then what we've done is kind of make it, make an, made an away move in the sense of kind of being a parent, right? Because actually kind of yelling at my child and, and telling them that maybe feeling angry or feeling anxious kind of isn't acceptable. We're not allowed to feel that. Yeah. Um, so that, I guess that's maybe an example that people can relate to. Okay, what about this, um, I don't know if people have teenagers and they go out to mm-hmm. take the family out to dinner at a restaurant. You know, it's like the people do that, right? It's like yeah. a little move. You know, you have a bit of nice family time. We're going out there to, you know, have a nice meal and be together. But then what happens often with mine is that, you know, because I'm into nutrition and stuff, I might mm. um, ask the waiter or waitress something specific about the menu and, you know, make a request. Can we have vegetables or that rather than, but, um, than pasta or rice or something? Yeah. And, um, of course, what happens is that the teenage boys are like oh my god this is so embarrassing being out with dad like him asking that is terrible mm. so so they're and then they act on it by saying that so that's an away move uh, so they had these thoughts and feelings about their dad being embarrassing yeah um, which is entirely normal right like kids are going to think that Absolutely. and they've acted on it yeah and then then to 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 make the whole thing to completely sink the idea of having a fun family now that's ruined it to start with I might turn around and say well you know we're actually paying for this um, so if you don't really want to come that's awesome um, your mother and me might just come by ourselves and have a date night and that'd be awesome if you didn't come and so I've had negative feelings of thoughts and I've acted them on an away move as well so we've absolutely had, so we've both had negative feelings of thoughts that are predictable in advance yes and both the kids and me have made an away move um, and we come home pissed off and then uh, Louise gets angry because it wasn't much fun and she had nothing to do with it being much fun. The kids said something and I said something and so then we might have an argument when we get home about that as well. Mm. It was just not act all over the place. Yeah. We, could have, we could have resolved it right by understanding that we might think those things. Absolutely. You can kind of prepare ahead, right? Yeah. And, and I suppose, you know, you were also referring to it sounds like everyone just wants to have a good time, yeah, right? Sure. Everybody just wants to have fun and kind of enjoy the dinner, but yeah. we all kind of have these different ideas of what enjoying the dinner is. Yeah. You know, for you, it might be, I don't want my teenage boys to think I'm a complete embarrassment. Yeah. But for the boys, it's like, oh gosh, I just hope dad doesn't ask about the menu. Yeah. And so could right? we prepare for that in advance and so on the way there in the car we could joke around and go you know dad's gonna like do this <laughs> yeah. and, that's, and that'll be hilarious eh? and, and it's like I could be we could be actually normalising 
Absolutely. Is that, would that be an act? Absol- that is, and I, I think act inherently is very playful, yeah. I think, as well. And so to be able to kind of just joke and, and laugh about that together, it kind of takes the power out of it, right? And that and that's kind of how we work with diffusion as well, yeah. is uh, we'll work with fusion, to be able to diffuse, is to be able to kind of um, joke around, kind of see this thing as, um, like, yeah. yeah, for example, yeah, just yeah. being a bit more Your playful dad, with that. Just watch this, it's going to be hilarious <laughs> what Dad could ask today. And yeah. then they, they have a laugh, and then I have a laugh, and it's always she quite funny exactly but they don't they don't get angry about it and lose it about the dad's behaviour at dinner totally like yeah. let them mock you let them impersonate you and it might for them when it actually does kind of show up at dinner they're like oh here he yeah. goes again yeah. yeah yeah. and then the funniest thing is that they end up doing it later as they grow up yeah exactly <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah keep store that one away yeah okay so I mean I think the um, interesting that the, I'm excited about X. I think health coaches can use it. Mm. Uh, it's a pretty powerful technique. We can use it therapeutically. We can use it in our lives. Um, I, I love the sporting analogy of it. I like this idea, you know, especially of a, of a football goalie, for example. Um, yes. Yeah. It's like, love yeah, you're going to – there's no way you've let a goal in, no matter how um, good you were, they're still going to go in. There's no way you're turning around and going, I was awesome. Yeah. You're going to feel stink. Yes, absolutely. It's just like there is no goalie yeah. that's never done that. But how is that going to detract from things by acting on that thought? And then you might, you know, go into the dots and. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And make an away move and then, yeah. you know, just give up being a goalie altogether. Yeah. And you see this yeah. all the time in mm. um, kids' sport, right? Because a, 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 a young kid will let through a goal and he just goes and melts, has a major meltdown and they just his actual goalkeeping or her goalkeeping just goes to crap for the rest of the game and absolutely and then it it was the away move made things worse Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. One one idea that I really kind of like and act, and this kind of, I guess, goes back to the caveman mind kind of idea, yeah. um, is the idea that our brains are kind of designed to fix things and yeah. to be kind of problem-solving machines, yeah. really. Yeah. And and one, one thing, I guess, that I like to talk about with my clients is um, I ask them, you know, what do you think if I was kind of running through the grass in summer, yeah. for example, and I got a prickle in my foot, what am I going to do? What would you do? Yeah. You know, and they. Well, what's the answer? I'd stop and take it out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so they they tell me, oh, well, you'd you'd pull it out, right? And I'm like, yeah, exactly, because our brains kind of recognise it in our external world. Yeah. You know, when there's pain, um, like a prickle in my foot, or when there's discomfort, like maybe I'm too hot, so I might take off my jacket, or yeah. I might kind of turn up the aircon. Yeah. You know, I can I can fix things. Yeah. And so our brains kind of start to apply that rule to, to our everything. internal world. Yeah. So yeah. what's like inside our skin? Yeah. So thoughts and feelings right and so then I guess what what it starts to do is start to think okay so if I can kind of get rid of pain in my external world I can do that in my internal world as well and so that can kind of manifest itself as again like we were talking about earlier kind of trying to get rid of these thoughts and feelings and you can't you can't exactly yeah yeah, yeah. so that's a really kind yeah. of important you're going idea. to at some point think your dad's a loser yeah yeah at some point you're gonna get annoyed with your kids um <laughs> those are completely normal things right absolutely absolutely and i think when we can kind of i guess support our clients to see that support people to just notice hey this is just what a kind of properly functioning mind does yeah. that kind of takes a bit of the sting and a bit of the heat out of things for them so there's there's obviously some of these uh philosophies right like buddhism has this life is suffering mm-hmm. um Stoicism, which is a more of an ancient Greek type philosophy rather than a religion, was this idea of 
positive and negative emotions being a completely normal part of life. Like it's in fact, it's impossible to have positive emotions without negative emotions. Like mm. you must have that contrast. Mm. So it's not. In many ways, it's not what we're talking about in ACT isn't new, right? Societies have been thinking about these things forever. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think ACT, uh, I guess the take that ACT has on it is actually, you know, is we don't describe the thoughts or the feelings to be positive or negative. It's yeah. kind of unhelpful or helpful, yeah. workable or unworkable. Yeah. So you're exactly right. It's not the idea of kind of suffering being inherent in the human experience kind of certainly isn't isn't new. And I think that's, that's what ACT really kind of has going for it. It kind of normalises that as being just a part of being human so people that society would look up to you know the sporting heroes or uh, leadership heroes or intellectual heroes all of them yeah the whole time must be having positive and negative thoughts totally so thoughts that they get hooked on as well feelings that they get hooked on absolutely I'm sure that their minds are telling them you know I had a rubbish game today I'm so bad at this I need to get better at that absolutely and I'm sure that they they would be able to speak to getting hooked on these at times themselves yeah and then just but then finding tools to get out of it yeah absolutely yeah All right, that's ACT it's an intro to ACT so get into it guys ACT you've been listening to Preventionist Cure Brought to you by Precure.com with me, Professor Grant Schofield. At Precure, we're developing a way to help medicine help change the world. We're filling that gap. We're helping train health coaches and mental health coaches. We're bringing short but effective behavior change programs over 29 days to you to help you learn for yourself and help others as well be healthier. We're trying to create a community of like-minded people, people like you who want to use the latest science and practice to change lives for the better. Join us at Precure.com. Get involved in our communities. We'd love to have you along for the ride. Precure.com. Too many days in the darkness Without a glimpse of the light Running tired and broken and scared But I swear I'll never give up the fight